what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of The Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828-468-3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents as well as caring for ourselves. I am Frances Hall, founder and executive director of ACAP, Adult Children of Aging Parents. In this podcast, we're talking about Alzheimer's disease, warning signs, and making a plan. And Jill Disney of the Alzheimer's Association is my interviewee. Jill has worked with the Alzheimer's Association since 2018 and leads a team of staff and volunteers who provide educational programs, support groups, and other assistance when faced with a dementia diagnosis. Hi, Jill. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thanks for having me. And Jill, we are recording in January, and most especially because I remember in an earlier conversation, you said that January in particular is a really intense month for caregivers and for you all. So we will talk probably more about that in just a few minutes. But I just wanted to kind of let people know that that although this is a topic that is near and dear to to lots of people's hearts and something that really is an every day, every moment of the day kind of issue for so many. Um, the reality is that often when we go see see loved ones during the holidays, that all of a sudden we come away going, oh my, we need some more information. That's so very that, true. So that's what we are here to do today. So let's start at the very beginning. We often hear about dementia and Alzheimer's and, and you know, the terms are used sometimes interchangeably, sometimes not. But what what is the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? This is such a common question that we get because, you know, while dementia, Alzheimer's, um, you know, sometimes referred to as cognitive decline, all of these things are um, so present in our lives and impact so many people. There's a lot for us to understand still and to learn. And I get this question almost every day. You know, you say this in this case or mom was diagnosed with dementia. It wasn't Alzheimer's or vice versa. And really, you know, when we talk about dementia, we are using that as an umbrella term. Um, It can describe a range of symptoms that are associated with cognitive impairment. So dementia is what we would call a syndrome or a collection of symptoms. Um, It's what a person experiences, not what causes that experience. Um, You know, it means that a person's cognition has declined to the point that it interferes with their daily living. And it can include symptoms, yes, related to memory and thinking, which we most commonly know about, 
but it also can include some behavioral or psychological symptoms like sleep disturbances or even hallucinations or delusions or agitation and aggression. And all of those symptoms are due to an underlying biological change that is happening in the brain that's associated with a specific brain disease. So think of that dementia umbrella and then specific diseases that are the cause. And Alzheimer's is a disease or one of the biological causes of dementia. And it happens to be the most common cause of dementia. However, there are also um, different causes such as vascular dementia, Lewy body dementia, frontotemporal dementia, and they're all defined by different and very specific changes that are happening in the brain. We're learning from research that mixed dementia uh, may account for 50 to 60% of cases. And so it's actually important to really clue in to some of those symptoms and learn more about what the causes are because each of those diseases presents slightly differently in individuals. And it is, um, you know, as I said, you know, common for mixed dementia. So then you have a case where you have to know about multiple diseases or, or biological processes. And that's something that, you know, can, can make diagnosis difficult. When we talk about an early and accurate diagnosis, that specific um, accuracy can, can be kind of difficult, um, you know, for folks to get with their physician. Um, but it helps really be able to, you know, approach the best care and treatment for the individual the more we know about the cause of that dementia. And, and possibly even for the family or the loved ones to know what they really are dealing with and how to best interact with their loved one, right? Absolutely. The more you know, the more you're able to customize the care and really understand, um, you know, how to make day-to-day -day quality of life best for everyone. Right, right. I had not heard or read 50 to 60 percent are now deemed that it is more than one more than one form of dementia. I had not known that. Well, that's really startling, alarming, concerning, all of the above. It can be. I mean, when we if we think, and you know, that number is still being pinpointed, but to know that the majority of causes of dementia are actually multiple disease states or disease states happening in the brain. So, so is that? Or do we know enough about it at this point? Is it that one form of dementia occurs and then, oh, now we contract that, 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 that the physiological process going on with that dementia is then leading to another dementia? Or is it that somebody comes and they present with all of the dementias that they ever would have? I would say that more needs to be understood about really the underlying cause of each of the diseases that cause dementia. But one thing that we see are a lot of the risk factors are similar for different types of dementia from family history um, to a, a risk um, related to genetics. Um, our um, our diet, physical activity, sleep, you know, those things, there are often common risk factors in different causes of dementia. So it could be that, you know, that multiple, um, you know, disease states are developing at the same time related to those risk factors. But I think research will tell us more as we understand those causes better. Sure, sure, sure. And, and 
that was getting a little deep in the weeds with my question, but 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 I was just really interested in that. Um, okay, so let's kind of back it up a little bit. Yeah. What are some things that might be a sign that something is wrong, something is really wrong versus just a normal aging process and just because because I'm getting older, I'm more forgetful. And, and it's important to know that distinction. And as you mentioned, this time of year, we often um, have folks noticing some things that are a little different. And I'll stress two things right now. One being that dementia is not normal aging. So Alzheimer's or other causes of dementia are not normal aging. They are disease states that are causing the dementia. And two, the most important thing that you can look for is something that is a change or out of ordinary for the individual. So so really knowing the person and knowing what is a change is important. So something that might be an unusual behavior for you isn't necessarily something that's un, uh, you know unusual for someone else. So knowing that person and particularly with our parents, we tend to know the things that are in um, you know in scope or common for them in their behaviors. We like to describe um, you know those those warning signs. We have a list of ten of them, and we go into detail when we're you know describing those, you know, physicians will talk about them or, you know, as you're reading, you can learn them in more detail. But if you kind of think of the different aspects of your daily life, so things that uh, memory loss that interrupts your daily life, challenges in planning or solving problems, because it is more than just memory, difficulty in completing familiar tasks, confusion with time or place, trouble understanding visual images or spatial relationships, new problems with words or with uh, writing or speaking, misplacing things or losing the ability to retrace your steps, um, decreased or poor judgment, withdrawal from work or social activities, and changes in mood and personality. Those are kind of the 10 domains that we consider those changes. And it just illustrates that it is more than memory loss. And, and everyone stresses that it's about a change or something unusual for that individual. And to further demonstrate kind of the difference, because we've all had something in those categories that we could describe as we're aging, but the difference between normal aging and something that might be cause for alarm, if you think about that sign of Alzheimer's of dementia, that poor judgment or decision making, well, we've all made a, poor, a bad decision at some point, but, um, you know, it's once in a while or it's something that we can identify that may have been a bad decision and we're able to rectify that in some way. Whereas someone who might be showing an alarming sign of dementia or Alzheimer's might not even recognize that it was not in their best interest to make that decision. Inability to manage a budget, same thing. Like we might have all missed a monthly payment, but all of a sudden someone that kept their checkbook to the penny, you know, is delinquent on several bills or loses track of, of you know, money that's coming in. That's a warning sign and something to pay attention to. Um, the famous one of losing your keys, you know, we all do that or losing your car in the, in the grocery store parking lot. But can you retrace your steps? You know, you step out of the store because you are so distracted and you're like, oh, I've totally forgotten where I parked the car. But you can pause for a moment, reorient yourself and find, find that car or think back and retrace steps to find your keys. Someone that um, is showing an alarming sign of Alzheimer's or dementia 
may not be able to retrace those steps or might find something in an unusual place. And in fact, not only re- you know, be able to re- not be able to retrace the steps, but might blame others for placing it there. That's concerning and something that you might want to pay attention to. You know, that I remember that when my mother was living in an, um, uh, an independent living situation, that she started talking about that someone had come into her apartment and had dipped their finger in her jelly in the refrigerator. And I remember thinking, that's not, that just doesn't quite sound quite, quite right. Right. Um, And, and, you know, those kinds of little things that, that I thought this, we've got something going on here beyond just, I mean, at that point she was in her nineties, but even so that was, that was not characteristic for her. So those are the kinds of things you're talking about. Not when yeah. I come out. Of, not when I come out of Sam's and can't find my car. <laughs> right, right. But you know, driving to the same place you've driven to every week for the last three years to have your hair done, and all of a sudden you're 90 miles away. Like that is not typical. That is a real, you know, warning sign. And I know that that's a an extreme example, but it does happen. And sometimes folks still make excuses for those sorts of things. And it's just important to really consider um, safety and, and, you know, what, you know, what we can do now um, in terms of understanding the underlying cause of some changes or some warning signs that might be going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and thankfully, we know so much more now today than we did even five years ago. Right. We just know more yes. and can better better deal with this right um, but it still is elusive and affecting so so many people in our nation and throughout the world okay so you've talked about some kind of warning signs so what should someone do if they like i like i did uh recognize there's something going on here what can people do what should people do right you know, I've said, don't ignore it, but what do you do? Um, and I think that it's really important to be seen by a healthcare professional, to see a doctor and to talk about those concerns. And there are a couple of reasons for that, but, you know, I think we would recognize if, you know, there were an ache that wasn't going away in our leg, we would see a doctor. Well, this is a physical concern that's related to the brain and we would need to seek medical attention and care for that as well. So any of those warning signs, if there's concern, we should speak to a doctor. It actually should be an ongoing conversation before there are concerns. Um, For anyone who is on Medicare, there is an annual wellness visit that happens and a cognitive screening um, conversation should be a part of that. I think folks uh, may be familiar with that, but that's before there's any concern at all. Just so that it's a part of the conversation, we're checking in on our brain health and our wellness, and um, it's, you know, kind of a routine part of our medical care. The truth is, though, that when there are concerns, when there are cognitive issues that are, um, uh, you know, that may be, um, you know, a, a problem for someone, 
the stigma is still there, the fear is still there. So especially when um, the concern is for a loved one, there is often a conversation that needs to happen around what was what was observed and the concern. So if it's really um, a conversation that is based in what you want for them and um, how you can help, then it usually goes a little better. I will prepare folks to say that sometimes that conversation needs to happen more than once because um, someone who um, is hesitant to see a doctor about um, behaviors or, or things that you're observing, symptoms, they, they might need that conversation more than once. But it's so important because when there is early detection, there might be some treatments that can, you know, can um, provide some relief of those symptoms that someone is experiencing or, or help them maintain a level of independence that they're seeking to, to, to keep as well as if a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or um, one of the other disease states related to dementia is, is detected, there might be an opportunity to participate in clinical trials or interventions that would not be available if the diagnosis is made later. Um, the other thing that we really stress is that some of the symptoms that we're describing have other causes other than um, diseases that are related to dementia. Um, so a physical exam and a visit with the doctor is the only way that you can rule out things like medications that might be causing some symptoms that mimic some of the warning signs of dementia or um, things like um, infection. Um, UTI is a common um, cause of some of the symptoms and that can be treated, that's not dementia. Um, so, so it's just important to really, you know, stress that we should check this out because one, um, it may not be something that is irreversible. It might be something that we can get relief in reverse, but if it is a cause of dementia, then there are things that we can do that benefit us from knowing about it earlier. Um, and the last thing I would just say is that anything that you can do to describe um, what someone might expect in an exam, you know, um, when going to the doctor, that's often helpful too, because um, knowing, you know, what to expect kind of removes some of that fear and mystery um, that might make it more, um, you know, feasible for someone to say yes to, to, to sharing those concerns with their physician. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I now have two friends. One has a mother um, that this happened to in the last year, and the other is a, a friend's spouse. But both both of these people started exhibiting what appeared to be dementia, and through medical exams, realized that they have fluid on the brain. Mm -hmm. And I did not even know that that that, that happened to adults, but that there was fluid on the brain and they now have installed shunts to draw the fluid away. And it's like flipping a switch that when the brain isn't so, um, doesn't have so much fluid around it that it has the room and can operate as it is supposed to. So uh, yeah, I, I absolutely know. And certainly UTIs, goodness yes. gracious that so often presents as dementia. You you talked about something though that I want to I want to go a little farther into. You talked about the conversation with someone and I know that that can you know the the thought 
someone saying, okay, and now we're going to do a cognitive test. That's really alarming and scary, mm-hmm. you know, for somebody even much younger because it's, oh, what if I don't pass this? You know, how how is the best way? I, I, and I know that dementia is a piece. I know attention is a piece. You know, there can be so many different things going on. But how is the best way to even approach that conversation or to broach that topic of, you know, maybe... Maybe, Mom, it would be a good idea to to let's get some somebody just to take a look at this. How how do you do that? I would say give it the same weight and gravity as you would anything that is an important conversation. So having the conversation in the grocery store aisle, not the best place. But, you know, a quiet place where you can give the time to the conversation and really impart the concern that you have for them and your willingness and and want to help. I think that knowing um, if it's a a parent, um, a sibling, a close friend, if someone sees that care and concern, they might be more open to hearing it. Um, It doesn't mean necessarily that they'll act right away. And it doesn't mean that you failed if they haven't, because adults make decisions for themselves. And sometimes we, we don't influence that. But I think the thing that we can control is how we express our concern. We always talk about, um, you know, any situation like this, sharing, you know, in the proper setting, the proper time and allowing time and space for it, um, what you've observed and why it concerns you. Um, Some of the points that I shared around, um, you know, just checking it out, not jumping to conclusions, but checking it out to see if there's something that can help um, alleviate those symptoms like that is a good approach and um, you know helping the individual make a plan Um, we always talk about you know so so what next rather than just kind of leaving the issue hanging you know what what do you think we should do next you know um, would this be a case to call Dr. Williams and see if we can um, include this in the visit that we have next week would it be helpful for me to be there to share what I've seen um, you know, th- those sorts of um, offers often um, help someone in making the step to have it, um, you know, brought up in a medical visit. That That's helpful. And I, even as you're talking, I'm thinking those, those I messages mm-hmm. of I am observing this, not, you know, I, I am concerned, not, well, you know, you keep forgetting things, you know, mm-hmm. not that approach, but rather the I am concerned and I want to, I want to help. And I want to be part of this. And talking about what we know versus what you're speculating. So what you've seen is something that is factual. Um, diagnosing someone without all of the information is not factual. You know, and that jumping to conclusions can sometimes um, really um, put someone off. And, and it's not as helpful as, say, addressing the things that you've observed that you see as a problem, um, you know, that, that might be important you know, impairing someone's quality of daily life. That's really good. That's really good. Because I think so so often that that we adult children will see something, we will observe something, but we don't know what to do about that. And we we're hesitant we're hesitant sometimes to confront it or to, to address it, not confront, but to address it because we don't know how to address it. Right. So thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, well, that's a really good segue then into 
So after someone is diagnosed with dementia, one of the, what is it, several hundred types of dementias, uh, but after, after someone is diagnosed, what help is available both for them and for their caregivers, their loved ones, their families? Right. Um, and, and that diagnosis is so important to be able to help families have clarity about what to do next and to um, you know make sure that they're taken care of and that the one person that they love knows what to do next. Um, you know, we talk early and accurate diagnosis. Um, the earlier in the disease state that someone is diagnosed, the more options that are available and the more accurate, the more likely whatever intervention or support is provided is more applicable to what um, might be presenting for that individual. So, um, you know, definitely having that that physician um, confirm or make a plan for other um, treatment that makes a difference in that person's life is important. If um, a diagnosis of dementia and the underlying cause is identified, from that point, we, we, we have things that we can do. So definitely encourage folks to, um, you know, if they are a caregiver or a care partner for someone who is diagnosed with a disease causing dementia, um, you know, to empower themselves with, with knowledge. So if the cause of um, the dementia is dementia with Lewy bodies, um, you know, learning more about what that means and how it may differ from what someone has as um, a preconception of what it means to have dementia, because they're likely thinking of the most common cause of dementia, which is Alzheimer's. But dementia with Lewy bodies is different um, or frontal temporal or any, any of the above. So learning about the stages and common behaviors related to that specific cause of dementia will help um, you, know, you understand um, the disease progression, maybe some things to, um, to expect. We know that every individual is just that, an individual, and their experience will be different. But having an idea of what um, is typically seen is helpful because um, it can help you to prepare and understand what might be in the future in terms of care needs, um, you know, other additional supports that you will need, because it's a whole new world. I mean, until you have um, organized and provided care for someone with a team, you know, the um, paid caregivers, family, um, you know, your, your community network, you've never done that before. And having that network will be so important. Um, the different care options are many and how you pay for them uh, varies. So having that knowledge before you need it will really um, be a good idea and uh, helping you prepare. Um, because, the, again, the options are more limited if you're, you're making that decision kind of on the fly when it's an emergency. Um, we say definitely to, as a care partner or caregiver to take care of yourself. We know that caregiver health is so important and that caregivers are often guilty of neglecting their own needs. Make sure that um, not only are you addressing your physical health needs of going to the doctor when you need to, getting the sleep you need, physical activity, eating a healthy diet, but that you have a support team 
It may be finding a caregiver support group, you know, a formal sort of outlet for talking with folks and sharing your experience and learning about resources. It may just be a trusted friend who has walked this journey or a, a member of clergy that you, you can speak to and just share your where you are right now. But making time for yourself is so important. And, um, you know, just being open to sharing this experience with others, because as you'll, you'll find when you do share, there are so many people that um, share in this journey and experience with you. For a person um, living with dementia, you know, it's important also to know what to expect at the time that is, is helpful and important to, to them. You know, they decide that finding similarly programs and support um, and, and being able to really think about and plan for the future. And I say this is before a dementia diagnosis, but putting those legal and financial and, and any other sort of wishes about end of life plans in place, um, that's important. There's never a time that's too early to think about and to talk about those things. But particularly if somebody is, um, has a diagnosis, um, you know, making sure that their wishes are, are, are um, followed up, um, and involving them in those planning decisions is so important. That is so, you have said so much right there. Uh, because so often when, when we are journeying with someone and there is a dementia diagnosis, then all the attention goes in that direction and all the focus and all the energy goes in that direction and to remember that there are some things that you need to do for yourself also it's it's a proverbial um, airline thing of put your own oxygen mask on first yeah you know that that just is so essential and certainly we have we have heard so many people caregivers in so many different situations talk about the importance of having at least one other person yes who really gets it who is part of your your team of you know your your place that you can offload that you can have that you can share what's going on for you in the midst of this your your loved one hopefully is surrounded by medical people and you know caregivers or whatever but but you as the caregiver also need yes. somewhere to offload some of this. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as adult children that may be caring for a parent, a, a very common situation that we see are siblings that are providing care together. And that can look different um, if everyone lives in the same town versus one person lives closer to mom or dad and others live further away. So not only providing um, and, and developing the system that works for your family, but, but ensuring that um, there's communication and support for the different roles that people play. And I'll say with that, you know, I, I'm a strong advocate for folks talking through like what that will look like and what they see and envision for, um, you know, for that care team, because not everything has to be perfectly the same to be fair or equal, um, but you have to be able to verbalize and and share, you know, the importance of the different roles or, um, you know, acknowledge that. 
we, um, you know, sometimes that conversation happens with, um, you know, someone that specializes in senior care as you're doing care planning for, for, for a parent. Um, we offer free care consultations just as an example to, um, to folks. And it's very common that siblings will join a call together with a care consultant just to talk through, okay, what needs to be addressed now? How do we come to agreement about what to do and who's going to do it? Because the lack of harmony leads to lack of support. Um, and we may not see things exactly the same, but for the purpose of taking care of our loved one, we have to come to some sort of agreement, um, or it's ideal to come to some sort of agreement to be able to provide that support to one another and to the loved one living with dementia. Right, absolutely. And I really am convinced that within a family, there is something that everybody can do to help. Yes. You know, it may be very, very different. And yes, there may be one one of the one of the adult children, one of the siblings who is taking the bulk on um, because they live closer or the relationship is, is closer or what for whatever reason they have they have a medical background or they, they have more expertise in the area. But there is something that everybody can do. Yes. So grab, grab your team, bring your team yes. along. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jill, thank you. This is such important information and such good information. I love the practicality, the practical pieces of this is what you do. This is what you can do. This is what is available to you. So thank you for that. Absolutely. We also want to thank you, our listeners. Thank you for, for being part of this podcast. And we certainly hope that you have gained good information through this conversation and quite honestly, that you will share it with others that you believe might also benefit. We certainly want to thank Pace at Home in Hickory, North Carolina. They are our sponsor for this podcast and for all of our community care, caregiver community podcasts. This program is part of the Mesh Network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more of our caregiver community pod podcasts on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts. You will also find our podcast on our website, www.acapcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope that you will take a few minutes to learn more about ACAP, our educational programs, and our local chapters. And if there are other topics you would like for us to address as a podcast, please do let us know. Again, that, that website is ACAP Communities website or ACAP website www.acapcommunity.org. As we say so often in ACAP, regardless of our age, background, education, career, or anything else, when it's our mother, our father, our loved one who needs help caring for and advocating for that person becomes very personal and extremely important. Please care well for your loved one, but also care well for yourself. Take care. Stay well. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. 
discover other network shows, and give us feedback on what you just heard.